to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. On each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we are joined by filmmaker Hannah Burkholm. Hannah, welcome to the show. Hello, it's great to be here. Appreciate you uh, you stopping by. Uh, are you are you dialing in from Finland? Yes, I'm dialing from uh, Finland, from Helsinki. Cool. It's like Eurovision where they do the scores at the end. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Hello, Helsinki calling. <laughs> and 12 points go to Hatching. Oh, that would be, that would be, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I had a... So your new film, Hatching, uh, is in cinemas right now. It's 86 minutes long, first of all. I mean, a big round of applause for that runtime. That's incredible. I think it packs a lot in to that short runtime, uh, comparably. And uh, I was wondering, when you were when you were making the film, do you have any sense of how long the final movie is actually going to be? Well, I, I did really want the film to be around 90 minutes and not more, because uh, it, it is kind of a... You would call it a fable. So I think... Uh, it fits for that story very well, that it's not too long. So I really, it does pack a lot of themes into it, but uh, but I wanted it to be kind of compact story. It's always nice when you come out of the cinema and the film leaves you wanting more. And I definitely felt that with, with Hatching. I guess just for the listeners, uh, before we get too deep into Hatching, can you give us a, a brief overview of what the film's about? Yes, Hatching, it's about a 12-year-old girl called Tinya, and uh, she's co- quite talented gymnast and she has a mother that is an influencer uh, shooting vlogs of her family and her talented daughter and the mother is very demanding and wants her daughter to be successful and the daughter Tinia feels that she can't really ever show any negative emotions to her mother and one day she finds a mysterious egg and takes it to her home and starts hatching it under her blanket in her bed and the then something comes out of the egg that is unexpected it really uh, takes off from there and, and goes into a more sort of supernatural roots but you do uh, you do such a good job at the beginning of presenting us with uh, you know and not not a, you know not like a normal family life but like a super idealized uh, family life through the mum blogger character. Um, is that something that I guess you've noticed you know through things like social media yourself? Yes, it is, and I really in this film I wanted to portray the mother's world, the mother character's world, and uh, she's kind of character who has decorated her entire house to to show her dream of perfect happiness. So so all the colors are kind of lovely pastel colors. Everything every color is matching and she has picked perfect outfits for entire family. So the everything in their life is something that she could just at any time grab a camera and shoot it and it would be perfect for social media. And and with that, I really wanted to portray this kind of uh, ideal of social media, of uh, of dream life, and how social media often shows how our life should be, and it should, should always be perfect and 
everything in, in our life is kind of, ah, oh, it was so lovely day today again, and hello everybody, and, and we are so happy family. So I wanted to kind of portray this kind of uh, world maybe in a, in a bit extreme way. I think it sort of adds a contrast to where the film goes when, um, you know, the supernatural elements come in. There's some horror elements that come in later in the film. I think it works so well when it's like a suburban setting. And you see this a lot in like classic American horror films. All of the wallpaper in the house is incredible, the floral wallpaper. And it sort of slightly adds to the horror when something pretty gruesome is happening in front of that. Yes, exactly. And uh, and that wallpaper was something that I and the production designer, Bavi Kettner, we searched and searched for a long time to find these perfect wallpapers because I really wanted to have roses everywhere to because in roses there's something that is considered to be very lovely and wonderful and pretty so there's kind of so much roses in all around the house that it's just a bit too much and also I wanted this to be a, uh, in a way a little bit different kind of a horror film because uh, it doesn't have much darkness, the film. Uh, everything is always in very bright light because I wanted to show how this mother character doesn't allow any dark secrets in the family. So, so you can see everything, all is well, and there's nothing bad in the family. <laughs> That's true. It's unusual, isn't it, to actually to see a horror film which isn't mostly set at nighttime. There's nothing to hide behind in Hatching. Later on in the film, so out, out of the egg hatches a creature. Let's not say too much more than that. But again, because it's shot in broad daylight, there's not much for you to hide as a filmmaker with the creature. Was that challenging to bring that creature to life? Yes, it definitely was. And uh, for me, what I wanted is to that this creature, since we are showing it so clearly, that it has real physicality. So it's, it's real. And therefore, I didn't want it to be a digital character, kind of CG character. I wanted that we do it physically. So how we did that was that it was a, a puppet, an animatronic puppet, kind of like E.T. was. So it means that it's a puppet whose facial expressions and fingers move with remote controls. And then we had five puppeteers around the puppet moving its body with rods. And uh, and later on, it's an, an actress with special effect makeup. And uh, and I knew that we need the best possible people to make this puppet for us. And I wondered how to find them. So I I googled that who is the best animatronic designer in the world. And I found Gustav Hergen, who has been the lead animatronic designer in the latest Star Wars films and Jurassic World. And he has done Prometheus and so on. So I emailed him and he got excited coming on board. And then I also... Uh, contacted a special effect makeup designer, uh, Connor Sullivan. He has two Oscar nominations and he has done Saving Private Ryan and The Last Duel and Game of Thrones and so on and so on. So I also contacted him and uh, he also brought his wonderful team on board and, and they all did so wonderful work. I was so happy to work with them. And they were also so nice people to work with. And that was so cool. And we also, we designed the look of the creature in Finland before they came on board and started to execute the, the creation. So, and we had from Finland, we have wonderful concept artists, Petteri Mäkinen and Emilia Lindholm, with whom I designed the look of the creature. So uh, that was also a lot of fun. You described the film at the beginning of this as more of a fable. And, and I wondered, if is there any sort of like Finnish folklore that's gone into the story or, or, or traditional fables that you brought to life in this contemporary movie? There isn't really. It was really the original idea from our screenwriter, 
Ilya Rautsi, the original idea was just one sentence. It was that a boy hatches a doubleganger out of an egg. That was, was the original idea. And then I wanted to change that lead character into a girl because I really want to tell stories about girls and women because I really need to see more of those in films. So, and then we started to develop the whole story from this one sentence. What does it feel like now as, as you know, the, the, the director of this movie to know that audiences across the world are, are watching this movie? Your baby is, is out there. It feels wonderful. And uh, we really got a dream premiere in Sundance. It has been sold to over 40, maybe now over 50 countries. And uh, so, I mean, that is wonderful it's because it's wonderful to see how that film travels and how people from any country has reacted that reacting to the film that they can identify with the characters and they can identify with the story. And that feels very good because I really wanted this to make, to make this a film that uh, really could kind of the story could happen in any country. We don't see a lot of Finnish movies being released in the UK. I'm not sure if that's true of other countries, but uh, it was just great you know, to see, uh, hear a different language on screen and to see a different culture on screen. I, I really loved uh, that sort of window that your film gave us too. And it was really important to to me as well to keep the Finnish language there because when we were developing the film and searching for financing, some financiers told us that you should make it in English language because it would be far easier to finance. But I think, uh, well, there are other languages in the world, so it's nice that we hear them as well. And, and also Finnish language is, I think, quite good for these type of films because nobody understands that language except Finns, so about six million people in the world. So, so it's kind of a fairy tale language. <laughs> making a film takes so much time and effort, but I wondered when you're not making movies, you know, do you like to relax watching films? Are you a big film viewer? Yes, I am. And, uh, and, I, and I love watching films and I've really, my parents were filmmakers, so I, I've really grown up watching old classic films from, from all over the world. And, uh, and I love films. But I noticed that when I'm making a film, I tend to watch very bad films and very bad kind of TV because it's too, it will be too stressful to watch very good ones. It's better to watch some very bad TV, more relaxing. <laughs> When we uh, started talking about doing this podcast and I, I set you some homework, how did you settle on the film uh, we're going to talk, talk about today? Well, that was uh, since I had to pick up a film that is uh, 90 minutes or shorter. It actually was quite uh, demanding because I thought about many of my favorite films that all of them were over 90 minutes. And then there is this very uh, wonderful old classic Finnish film called The White Reindeer. And uh, it has been a very important film for me always. And so, and that is under 90 minutes. So, so I really wanted to pick that one. And it's a, it's a film that has, it's made in fifties. Uh, it has one prize in Cannes and it has one Golden Globe and cinematography prize in Carlby Barry. So it has been quite a honored film, but it's not very well known. So I really wanted to make that film known. The White Reindeer, a newly married young woman, Greta, becomes frustrated and lonely as her husband, a reindeer herder for a small Arctic village, spends much of his time away from home in devotion to his work. Desperate for affection, she visits a shaman who offers a potion that makes her an irresistible object of desire. But there is a terrible cost. Perita becomes a bloodthirsty shapeshifter who lures men out into the barren wilderness where she consumes them. 
Oh, <laughs> yes. Very, it's a very intriguing uh, synopsis. And as you mentioned, it's uh, released in 1952, uh, directed by Eric Bloomberg, uh, his feature film debut, and, and it was lauded at film festivals like Cannes, uh, as you mentioned. Um, I think Jean Cocteau was the head of the jury that year, and he said it's the best fairy tale film, which is a category they do not have at Cannes anymore, which I feel like is a shame. We should reward more fairy tale films and, and, and fables. And it got a US release. Uh, it actually won a Golden Globe in the US, uh, and it's only 68 eight minutes long. That's one of the shortest films we've had on the show. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> A record. <laughs> yes. Because for me, this is my first time seeing this film and, and hearing about this film. But in Finland, is this a very well-known film? Uh, yes, it is a very well-known film. It's kind of a very important classic film that I'm sure, I mean, every filmmaker has seen it and people who study films, everybody has seen it because it's very important classic, especially among filmmakers. It really has become very honored film because it's uh, the cinematography is just amazing. It shows this wonderful landscape of Lapland in very fable-like way, and uh, and uh, the music is very special. It has very very little dialogue. You can almost uh, understand it without any subtitles. The character is on her own for so much of the film. There is no one else for her to talk to. I think it has this timeless nature to it because it's largely set, you know, on location in the snow and, and it sort of almost looks like a documentary because literally the cameraman is also in the snow, you know, trying to film in, in these quite harsh conditions. And I feel like that must be challenging now, but even more so in 1952. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. And uh, yeah, I think it, the film is very timeless. It is uh, really a fable about this woman who turns into a white magical reindeer who is kind of a, you would say, one kind of vampire. And uh, the man becomes possessed by her and then she turns into this vampire. But it's, I think it's very timeless, even though it's a fairy tale, it's very timeless uh, a film and very universal story about human emotions in general. And also, uh, I would say about, so about women's sexuality. And in this film, it's shown how this woman is really she has very tight uh, place in the society she should be just this, this married woman and know her place and then her whole character she's kind of a witch uh, that she is not herself aware that she's a witch but and uh, she's not aware of her all her powers that she has and all the powers she has don't really fit into this small circle that she's put into and it's very kind of fascinating uh, story no, totally i feel like it's quite ahead of its time in, in in that respect you know it's about a woman who wants her independence and she falls madly in love with this guy and they get married but then he he's more devoted to reindeer than he is to her and she's frustrated and she's specifically looking for companionship uh whilst he's away and you know and, and that sort of leads onto the chain of events but to see sort of a woman taking control of her destiny in, you know, cinema in 1952, uh, it was far too rare. So it does feel sort of, yeah, it was, it is timeless, also quite ahead of its time. Yes, I, I would say it definitely was. And this was, uh, the screenplay was written by Miriam Kuosman, who also plays the main character. And uh, it was her, she picked up this, kind of invented this story. Uh, she picked up some pieces from old uh, Sami folklore stories but she really kind of invented this story and uh so it was really her story oh that's amazing wow yeah i mean it's always uh it's, it's always great when you hear the star of the film's actually more involved behind the scenes as well because you're getting this 
truer performance you know like she knows exactly where this film needs to go uh to get there i, I think she's incredible on camera yes um, she's wonderful know, it's uh she does have a few scenes where she's acting alongside people but like i said like she's on her own for so much of the movie and but she is without dialogue she conveys exactly how she's feeling you know and and we're we're totally on board with her even though you know, she she becomes a bit of a villain uh, in in the piece. I love her her performance. Again, is she sort of a, a big name in in Finnish cinema? She's very big name from this film, but uh, she and she but she made quite few films, not so many. I don't really know why. Maybe she was kind of too strong character for the films. That is my theory because uh, she's not seen in many films. For a, a debut feature film, you know, this feels really competent, really bold in its in its vision. And you know, Eric Bloomberg's definitely he definitely knows what he's doing. And I, I think he's also a cinematographer. Yes, yes, he he was an originally he is a cinemat cinematographer, and he also uh, shot this film and he also edited the film. And uh, yeah, and this is his debut direction. So yeah it's very it's very bold film and i think it's very timeless because it is so unique it has very certain style and that doesn't really grow old Do you remember when you first watched this film? Yes, I, I was uh, maybe about 10 or 12 years old, around the same age as Tinia is in the film Hatching. So it's a, it's a kind of film that I have grown up watching this film and it has been a very important film to me because uh, I always liked how strong this female lead character is because it's very rare to see very strong complex female characters. It's very interesting to watch her because uh, this character is not all good at all. She's actually, well, you would call her evil, but she doesn't mean any harm. So, uh, and that makes her very complicated and and so it's she's a very interesting character, and it's the whole style of the film is very unique. So uh, I've always loved the film, even though the film nowadays it's quite uh, also quite controversial uh, because of the way it uh, describes and shows Sami people and their life. Because uh, the film is set in Lapland in northern Finland, and uh, the characters are supposedly Sami people who are indigenous people in in Lapland area. But actually, well, the filmmakers and all the actors, they were not Sami people. They came from southern Finland. And uh, and the, the way this describes Sami culture is not accurate at all. The costumes and the, the traditions in the film is not really accurate, uh, real Sami costumes and traditions. And, uh, and in this film, the characters speak Finnish language and they don't speak any of the Sami languages. And um, and also it kind of shows uh, its own view for old Sami religions. And uh, in this film, there is a character, kind of shaman character, but uh, that character is kind of a, 
a little bit the simple drunk character and then there is uh, also a christian priest uh, and that is more dignified gentleman so all these kind of um, ways to show sami people and sami culture is found uh, kind of uh, insulting uh, nowadays and uh, yeah which I, I think it's very important when we watch old films or new films any films that we when we watch them that we are very aware that whose view is it and uh, and how are the different characters described in this film and that we don't uh, believe everything we see because uh, this doesn't this film doesn't really tell about sami people or sami culture it's more it's it's a fable and um, the filmmakers also said that uh, for them uh, they just set the story in lapland because it fits really for the landscape but it could be set anywhere in the world so it's very kind of universal story that's really interesting and 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 yeah i totally sort of see where the filmmakers are coming from they need an isolated place and that is a known you know sort of more isolated bit of the world for them and and things and uh but but yeah you know it's, it, it happens so often especially in classic cinema where a certain culture may not sensitively uh, be depicted and i think nowadays you know it's good to have the conversation you know say that you know this yes. isn't accurate but this is what they were going for and and you know and it was controversial and and hopefully you know we can educate ourselves um into this as well and you know again if i didn't see this film i would never I would have never started to Google Sami culture or something. So it's a good jumping off point, even if what's in the film, you know, isn't a documentary. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Our protagonist, you know, she does become this creature, but she doesn't sign up to become this creature. Yes. You know, she's looking for a companion, really. And, and it's sort of a byproduct of, of what she goes through, uh, you know, when she, she transforms. So I guess she's a victim as well as a, as a villain uh, of the piece. Yeah, I think so. And I think uh, also the point is that... Um, she during the film she gets this uh these strange powers but from birth she has been actually always a witch but she hasn't been aware of that and her kind of witch powers hasn't start to kind of manifest themselves before bit of a coming of age sort of story yeah you might say so exactly and there's uh then in that sense there i think there are some similarities with a uh, Catching as well, although I didn't think about this uh, right reindeer film when I made Hatching, but of course this is kind of film I've grown up with, so maybe it kind of it's in your DNA. In, yeah, in, some in a way. <laughs> yeah, in one way. Yeah. To prepare for this interview, I I, my, I have this amazing homework this weekend where I got to watch Hatching again, and then I watched The White Reindeer right afterwards. And I was thinking this would be an incredible double bill because whilst both totally different movies, they they share some themes, especially you know showing a transformation, uh, and 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 I think the endings of both are also you know similarly tragic. And two, you know, like two different parts of Finnish filmmaking culture as well, uh, from seventy years ago to contemporary. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Yes. <laughs> The film, The White Ranger, is is so effective with, you know, like the, the, we talk about the transformation and there's a creature, but there's not loads of special effects. Whereas with Hatching, actually, you know, you, you create this amazing puppet and lots of visual effects there. But in this, it's sort of, it's about the editing to create the illusion of, of there being a transformation and a soundtrack that comes into play and things. I, I was just wondering what you think about, you know, I guess the uh, the choices they made in 1952 to to bring this creature to life. Yes, I think that is actually very stylish because like you said, there's there are no really special effects. It's just that uh, first it's a... Uh, woman and then we cut into the moment when it's turned into a reindeer or the other way around and it's done in very elegant 
way and uh, you don't really miss any special effects so so i think that is a way <laughs> that uh we could use still today it, it it doesn't i think the film doesn't seem like it's lacking anything so so uh i think that is very quite stylish actually it sort of all goes back to that sort of dreamy cinematography we see and you know it, it is this it's this very you know isolated and haunting sort of landscape we see and, and i think it just works you know it's uh, it's just really nice when you see everything complement each other you know the soundtrack complements the cinematography and the performances feel right at home in this landscape you know it's, it's an amazing it's an amazing piece and, and it packs so much into 68 minutes long yes <laughs> exactly yeah Well, there we go. We got the white reindeer is in our ninety minutes on a film festival. Before we recorded this podcast, uh, Hannah, we had no finished films in the ninety minutes or less film fest, and now we've talked about two fantastic under ninety minute movies. And I highly recommend our listeners go and check both out. Hatching is in cinemas, and the White Reindeer is available on DVD and Blu-ray. But at the ninety minutes or less film festival, you know, we're about the big screen experience. So if I were to give you a print of the White Reindeer and and say where would you like to show this movie, have you got a cinema that you'd you know you'd personally enjoy presenting this film at? Well, in Finland, I do have in in Helsinki uh, there is a cinema called uh, Orion so uh, and that is uh, it used to be our na- uh, kind of national film institute's uh, own cinema where they showed old classic films and that is I've always also seen the white reindeer there as well and it's kind of lovely art deco style very old beautiful cinema with very comfortable seats which is also important when you watch films so so I really love to show films in that kind of theaters, kind of small, that look beautiful with comfortable seats and with audience that are there to enjoy different kind of films and also who wants to be surprised and see something new that they haven't seen before. That is kind of my favorite setting for a perfect cinema evening. You're painting a picture of a really beautiful theatre. I need to go and look this up online. Is Hatching played at that cinema? It will be actually there. It will be in around, uh, in two weeks, uh, there is one festival for, actually it's the festival for puppetry. And so so because there is some uh, puppetry in a way in Hatching, so they also picked it for for that. So that that's why it's also in that special cinema and i'm very happy about it oh that's amazing uh, that sounds like it'll be an incredible place to see the film well yeah we can make that happen let's put the white reindeer on at this fantastic uh, cinema in helsinki and, and i wonder you know if, if you could choose what snacks maybe we we offer to the audiences or drinks you know is, is have you got a favorite when you go to the movies well if if it's possible in some cinemas it's now possible to drink some red wine and some cheese so that is i love red wine and cheese and that is my uh recipe for for any film that sounds amazing okay well we can do that this will be a very sophisticated screening we're going to go to a beautiful <laughs> yes. art deco cinema we'll have a nice wine menu we'll have a cheese board and uh, and and we'll get the white reindeer on screen when you go to the cinema for a special screening you know do you, do you like to if there's an introduction do you like to sort of have that sort of context or do you just want to get the film on screen right away personally i love to get the film going as soon as possible and because i as an audience i just love to see the film myself without knowing too much about it beforehand. But I really uh, love to have some kind of a talk or Q&A after the screening. And uh, and as a filmmaker, that is also something I love. I love to have uh, to do Q&As because then it's always so nice to hear what the audience is 
asking and it's so nice to have some interaction with them maybe afterwards we could you know like curate a panel i think none of the people involved in the film are, are with us anymore sadly but maybe there could be a historical panel yes. uh, we can talk about filmmaking at the time maybe the representation of sami culture as well might be yeah. interesting yes, like you yes. were saying and then we can have that conversation on the way out um you know and 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 all be the richer for it <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> okay okay well this sounds like an amazing screening i mean i'm tempted to jump on a plane to helsinki and, and i'll be there thank you so much hannah for talking to us today i say hatching was incredible 86 minutes long can't stress that enough and that's in uk cinemas right now uh, so do check that one out and yeah the white reindeer available from eureka do you know do you know what you're working on next anna or are you sort of having uh, taking some time out after hatching <laughs> well i'm i am uh, writing a new uh, screenplay at the moment with the same screenwriter Ilya rautsi who also wrote hatching so we are co-writing a new story and it's uh, it's uh, about a relationship with we, between mother and her child so it's there's something some similarities with hatching but it's totally different story it tells about difficult emotions of motherhood and mother who gets her first child and suddenly feels that she can't connect with this baby and there's something terrifying with this baby well thank you so much for taking time uh, to talk to us today hannah from dialing in from helsinki and uh, and say can't recommend hatching enough hopefully we can talk to you for the next one yes <laughs> hopefully too thank you thank you for listening if you enjoyed the show please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.